Every journey begins with a question. Our journey begins with this one. How can we lead to make the world better? Here, we explore that question through journeys of great success and accomplishment, confronting challenges and overcoming obstacles with leaders from around the globe, whose experience covers a vastly diverse range of background, sector, role, and expertise. One common thread unites them all. They are all leaders striving to make the world better. They are all better world leaders. Welcome to our conversation with Karen Jensen. And anything but sort of in the box, archetype, uh, a female tech startup founder in her 50s, mother of four kids, who is really shining a light on and providing a way for leaders to interpret and understand the very real impact of their actions, words, even values and beliefs on the organizations they serve. This is a deeply resonant conversation on a number of levels. Uh, we, we spend time speaking about inclusion, breaking through barriers, self-imposed and systemic, the changing demands on leaders and leadership right now, how that then moves into teams and trust, and above all, transformative change. I hope you enjoy this one. Karen Jensen, welcome to the Better World Leaders podcast. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. I'm so pleased that I mean, it's taken us a few uh, conversations to get here today, but I'm so pleased that we have because we've had so many fascinating dialogues over the course of the last, I'm going to say maybe it's four or five, maybe even six months now yeah. since we first, you know, we can say met, albeit it's all been in the virtual environment for the time being. And I'm just, I'm really pleased that we're here and, and we can co-create something to share with with far more people than just the two of us. Yes, if um, our, our, our conversations have been very engaging. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hopefully With the that. rest of the world finds it that way. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. Well, let's, okay, let's, let's, let's try our best. Um, so where are you joining us from today? So I am in Brisbane today, um, my, my home state, and uh, beautiful, beautiful sunny day. Yep. Lovely winter days here. Yeah, winter has an entirely different sort of framing if you're a Queenslander compared to many parts of the world. You know, you might occasionally have to put long long pants on, right? <laughs> like that's. <laughs> yes, I realised I had to close the door the other day. <laughs> that's how you keep the cold out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so for those of you who might be tuning in uh, from a hemisphere um, that is, uh, yeah, a little bit less friendly in the winter time. Uh, and if you've not yet had the pleasure of visiting Queensland, it's essentially a, a sort of a tropical and subtropical um, to geographical range, isn't it, with some desert and arid land further inland, right? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's a spectacular place in winter. Nice cool nights, but spectacularly sunny days. Um, so in terms of as I've already sort of set the set the stage somewhat we've had these fascinating dialogues you know I've I've sort of provoked you know this coming together today um what what brings you into this space today where have you sort of been where have you come from to come here with me today look I've had a very diverse and varied life um and I guess now being 
more towards the back end of it, um, you start to piece it together and go, oh, now it's starting to make some sense. <laughs> um, there's a long time there. It didn't make a lot of sense and wasn't really sure who I was or why why I was on this earth, um, for want of a better word. But I had a sense always. I just had this sense of understanding the environment. I've been really attuned to the environment and what goes on in that environment and how that impacts or triggers the way that people behave and respond to it. And it's, um, you know, I went through uni and studied social science because I really wanted to understand this and I wanted to understand, you know, policy and when policy is driven down through government, what happens and, and what do we get the outcomes we need? How do we track that? It was an incredibly fascinating time that I, I really enjoyed being there. But so it's it's been there and it comes from my childhood. My parents had a store and, you know, I could see what my father was doing in that store and how he created this safe space for people and it became a community and it thrived because he had this community. And so it stuck with me forever. And even before that, you know, I grew up in a very working class suburb in the southern suburbs of, of Brisbane. And it wasn't until I moved out of that and my parents went to the shop that I actually even started to understand that different people were treated differently. And, you know, we had a very uh, multicultural community when I was very young and I didn't experience it. I didn't see it, whether that was just the naivety of childhood, um, but I just didn't see that different people were treated differently. Um, and when I came out of that and saw it, it was a real it was a stark moment in my life and, and I didn't understand why. It was like, why? Why wouldn't, you know, my neighbours who were from Papua New Guinea, why are they being mistreated at school and why are they being bullied and from teachers and all this sort of stuff? So I think that that's where I've got to today because I've just, I've seen it coming up through different employment that I've had in different roles and coming up through organisations and still seeing it and just very deep in the heart of myself, just going, you know what, we can do better and we should be. Why aren't we? What's stopping us? What can we do? Why do these things happen? So it's just the, being this curiosity and belief that, you know what, we as human beings can operate differently in the world and we just need to find the mechanisms to do that. No, I mean, I, I, I know it. So um, I can very much relate to the the, the story that, that you're telling there and it's it's such a frustration on one level that, you know, we stand here in 2021, you know, with so much legislation and so much sort of cultural recognition that certain things are not okay and we can do better. Um, but yet, you know, on a daily basis in kind of tragically the majority of places, if I just use the broadest term I can come up with right now of inequality right there, there's there's an unequal experience which is you know removing people from the opportunity to explore their true potential yes yeah and that inequality is it's curious and I think we've got you know there's lots of research that points the way to it there's things that we know but what we know about you know, certainly what I know about, I come from, you know, 10 years over in neurocapability, learning about neuroscience of leadership. And now I understand, you know, getting into that role and understanding, oh, this is the science of why these things are happening and what we can do. That was, that was a groundbreaking moment for me. And it really is, it's, it's just such a new field. 
and most people haven't got this knowledge or this understanding. And when you start to take all of that into account, then there's real opportunities to start to go, okay, now there's a direction that we need to go in. And, you know, basically we have to learn to be more gentle with each other for starters. I think that we are all human and leaders are human. And, you know, I think it really starts with leadership. Um, they are at the top of the tree and they are themselves. They've experienced this. They know it's happening, but they need to have a framework and a path to follow to be able to help them navigate it so they can make better decisions with some with some real data. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot just in that in that little um sort of segment there and and, and the, that critical word at the end data I'm going to say data um which we can uh, we will explore in, in in detail but let let's just to just backpedal ever so slightly into the midst of of of, of that segment there and, and and talk about you know the the neuroscience and the link with with the environment so what is it about us and what is not hardwired but what is you know, sort of like wired in at a you know, neurological level and, and, and what is going on in the environment and, and in obviously your particular context and the, the specialism that you have in looking at what is safe in that environment and how do we respond, you know, how is our brain chemistry triggered by that perceived environmental safety? So, yeah, in let's just say a little bit unfairly, in five minutes or less, <laughs> let's do a sort of a, <laughs> a crash course in uh, environmentally sti- stimulated neurology. Yeah. Look, I think, you know, one of the most profound concepts, not just for me, but um, from, you know, everybody who went through the neuroscience of leadership training and that I saw while I was over in neurocapability is this concept that we as humans are fundamentally driven by threat and reward mechanisms. And so, you know, every, every decision that we make every minute second of the day behind it sits this comprehension from our brain of going, was, was that a reward or, was, or could it be a reward or did that just put me into a threat state? And when you think about that in every aspect of your life, um, it's a profound insight. It changes the way you forever look at the world and I think it changes the way you look at other people. So we're not, you know, we're not looking at it, we're no longer looking at it as a, as, as a human flaw. There's something flawed with you. You have a, a behavioural problem. We can then start to go, okay, well, what just happened in that environment that influenced that reward or threat trigger? Now, rewards aren't always good. You know, we know alcohol's a reward, for our, for our body and the way that it works, alcohol is a reward. We feel good after it. We want it. Uh, same with smoking or drugs or exercise or anything that starts to get those chemicals moving. Um, it's for our body. It interprets that as a reward. So every individual is, you know, is just driven by this. And the other, the other thing that we know that we're driven by is this, this need for certainty. So as human, we're, we're constantly trying to predict our environment because um, that in itself creates a threat and reward trigger. So we're, we're, the trigger goes and then we're trying to predict what do I need to do about that? How am I going to keep myself safe? You know, am I safe? Do I need to run? Whatever it is. 
So bring that into the world of work. So we've got science finally starting to come into the world of work and you start to understand a lot of the the situations that are unfolding. And so when leaders are interacting with their team or their staff, we now as leaders need to be incredibly cognizant and aware not only of our own threat and reward triggers that create our response to the people that we're working with, but how have we triggered them? How could we have done that better? How could we have come at it in a different way? And when, as a leader, that you have the capability and the presence of mind to actually watch those things because you get them in microfacial expressions, everything, our behaviour, twitches, the way we stand, Um, you will pick up these things really, really quickly. And to me, that is the difference between a leader and a great leader because a great leader picks them up very quickly. And then you have the opportunity to actually, if if it's a threat trigger, you have the opportunity to check in on that and see what happened. And if it was a miscommunication or a misunderstanding, you can rectify that really quickly as opposed to just letting it fester and anyway, so we know those things fester and then we just end up with people becoming disengaged and demotivated and the culture starts to get toxic and, you know, the rumour mill's running and all these things end up happening and it all starts right back at that initial point in time where that threat and reward was triggered. There's a particular, con- well, context um, that I'm curious about um, which will kind of yeah, sort of date stamp this conversation which is, neither here nor there, but um, being engaged with this um, you know, t- topic uh, you know, for over a decade, we've had this particular shift in workplace circumstance now occurring, oscillating, but to an extent um, you know, we've been sort of less impacted than some nations and, and some workplaces. Um, so this this triggering and this ability to you know sort of remediate a, a, a trigger that you recognise might be contradictory to the outcome you're trying to achieve as a leader, how has that process would you say potentially been impacted um, you know by the shift towards virtual work and you know, people interacting as you and I have the whole time that we've known each other through a through a video call? I think the biggest shift has been a recognition in that it's actually important. I think prior to COVID, like there was a lot, there was always this research and there's always been this understanding, but there's been pushback. You know, I've run my business like this for 30 years. Why do I need to change? I just need people to come in, do their work and go home. I'll pay them. That's no longer the conversation that you're hearing out there. You know, we we, we have a saying that, you know, we know people are important to productivity because, you know, don't bring your people into work tomorrow and see how productive your organisation is. It's not. So people are at the heart of that. Um, but there's uh, to me the shift is just the, the recognition and the acceptance of, oh, my God, this is really important. I no longer have them in my sphere of influence anymore. They're not in my office and I can't keep an eye on them. So I don't know that they're performing the way that I need to. So I need to be able to influence them in a completely different way. And leaders have recognized the role that they play in that and they have to be doing something about it. A lot of leaders have also recognized 
this is their least developed skill, the one they're the least comfortable with, and they're trying to navigate themselves a whole new world of leading without the tool set to do it, um, without the understanding of what do their people really need from them because they don't need the same, all of the same things that they used to need. So I think it's just the acceptance of, no, this is actually real and we need to start to understand people differently and work with them as opposed to just telling them what we need them to do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I love that that that, that sort of counter, um, you know, sort of balance that that you've set up there. That there's there's kind of a different toolkit that leaders need, and there's a different space that teams or whole organisations need to be sort of brought into um, in order to operate in this new way of working, which is not terribly new in reality, but yeah, you know, on a universal level, it's it's novel shall we say. So So, could we maybe just explore those two domains? And I'd be very interested in your thoughts on, first of all, what is it that you think teams and organizations are needing that maybe was different um, to even just 12 months ago? And then, and then what, are the, the, what are the new skills that leaders need that they perhaps haven't developed? Or do you say that, that, that that's their kind of critical gap right now? I think there's, um, for, with regards to teams, there's, there's, a, there's a number of things at play here and so I don't think it's, you know, and it's not completely one or the other. So, you know, what we have now, you know, in the workplace is a completely different way of having to work. We, the workplace is constantly, is, it's constantly changing and it's changing because we are more global we need to be more innovative. Like organisations cannot just simply remain the same as they used to and, and expect that they're going to achieve the results that they were going to achieve. So, you know, economies are changing. All of this, all of these um, external influences are changing what organisations need to be focusing on and how they need to come at it. And then we've got on top of that, we've got COVID, which is completely thrown out the bathwater. And um, we're trying to save the baby right now. You know, to, to, we're now external people are from home, and so what we didn't think we could achieve or was possible in order to um, to run an organisation, we've actually had to face, and it's occurring. It's happening where. We are working from home. We don't have to be in the office all the time. We need to find different ways to communicate. So I think if for a team level, what we're really getting down to is communication, trust and communication, which is what teams have always needed. And organisations have often for too long have been thinking that, you know, the it's about individuals because we hire individuals, we train individuals, we train them up as individuals. We're looking at them in through this, this is an individual and what do I need to make them behave the way I need to so that my organisation can perform the way it needs to. Um, and the, the, the key word here is teams. We're not individuals. We are actually working in teams and around teams. And it's the it's that environment, it's the interplay of that environment that's actually impacting the way individuals feel in those teams. Do we feel included? Do we feel like we belong in that team? Do Are we given equal opportunities? Are we treated fairly? 
Do I get on with my peers? Do they protect me? Can I protect them? Can we talk? Can we make decisions? Can I disagree with you? These things are really important and they're really just at the core of being in a social group. That's what we that's what we need in school. That's what we need in our families. We are social human beings. We're social creatures. We need to do this. And I think we're starting to understand that this needs to be a part of the workplace. And when it is, then that's how you start to really unleash the people in those teams and that those teams can then perform, become high performers. I think organisations are so accustomed to be ha- to mediocrity. You know, we're happy if we get someone who comes in and, uh, you know, at least does what we want them to and, you know, doesn't cause any problems, doesn't raise any issues, just get your job done. Organisations have actually been happy to accept that. But if we're going to be innovative, if we're going to find new opportunities it's not going to come just from your leaders. You need to hear from everybody in your organisation and feed that up through the organisation. You can't do that if they don't even trust the organisation. They don't trust themselves. They don't trust their leaders. They don't feel like they have a purpose. They don't feel like they're heard. If they are heard, no one's going to do anything about it anyway. So this is just playing out all over the world and I think for leaders, the, the core issue at play here is once again, learning to communicate effectively, learning to influence team members and understand what it is they're looking for. And, you know, I've gone through a lot of those, um, I don't know if you picked that up there. So I was looking at the social domains that, you know, that we, um, that we work with, we know people need certainty. And so some people more than others, some people don't need a huge amount of certainty. Other people panic and get really anxious without it. So that anxiety leads to a lower performance, leads to stress, leads to them eventually leaving because they can't deal with that. Um, This relatedness, you know, do I matter to my team? Am I a part of a team? Is it important? Are we doing good work? Do I know how to do my job? Do I have the skills and the training to do it? Or am I just being left to my own devices? So all of these things are just really core and leaders have to learn to start understanding why these are important, I think, if they're going to be able to connect with their teams whilst they're working externally or internally um, because it, it's it's um, it's a mechanism within each of us. It's so deep and often so non-conscious what we're experiencing but we just, that trigger hits us the moment a decision is made in the organisation and we don't feel like that we were important enough to be somehow included in that. I think the key here is there is a lot in there and sometimes it can feel incredibly overwhelming. And, you know, I think that's at the heart of why we created Conductor Software because for too many people it was really easy to create this, oh, my God, this is too complex, Um, we need to leave somebody else to it who's more specialised, and it actually isn't. So when we realised we could actually measure this, we could measure this and give leaders insight into exactly what was going on, exactly what they need to focus on and improve on, and it's always communication. How can you communicate better in this area? How can you strengthen skills in this area? What do your people really need from you so that they can come in and do the work you're looking for them to do? And so when you can actually see that, 
but you also understand how it's impacting your organization, there's two complete, that's a whole different conversation that you're now starting to look at. So once again, it comes away from this behavioral stuff and we can help leaders get on and do exactly what they need to do. What's the issue? How do I need to come at it? And how am I going to help that to improve the performance of the business? And when you're looking at that holistically and together, it, it's incredibly powerful and it's in, it, the, the changes happen very quickly. So whilst what can seem complex, Conductor has been able to really simplify down into its core root components with actionable insights to actually address it so that you start to embed better habits and um, improve the culture as you're moving through the organisation. We're going to just, in, in a moment, just I, I want to shift to, to dig down into Conductor and, uh, and sort of explore more exactly the sort of the inner workings and, and the benefits for the kind of change that you know, I know we both you know, sort of believe the workplace deserves and everybody who's working you know, sort of deserves a, you know, to work in a workplace like kind of one that Conductor can help create. Um, I want to sort of do a slight stepping stone to get there, which is to talk about you know, your role specifically and your journey to come into that role and essentially sort of the, you know, the way that your leadership, you know, as the, as the CEO of a, of a tech company is, is, is helping to make the world better. But I just wanted to reflect very quickly. I think certainly what I'm receiving from, um, from, you know, the, that, that last response is the work that you're doing is helping close the gap between intention and consequence. I think, uh, you know, we talk about this a lot in in our work and it, if you disagree with that then please say i'm just sort of watching your reaction um but you know i have a lot of conversations with um leaders at all different levels and and you know sector agnostic it, it doesn't seem to necessarily apply in a different space but you you ask them well what was your intention going into whatever the situation or the context was and they declare well this was my intention and then you say well let's look at the context and this can be retrospective or anticipatory and a lot of the time there's a big gap between, well, this is what I wanted to happen or this is what I intended to happen and this is what I thought would happen with what actually occurs. Um, and that can be driven by a number of things, but there's certainly a lot that happens in the conduit of communication and everything that's involved with that, you know, tone, body language, eye contact, specific language cues that may or may not be universally culturally appropriate um and so on and so on and also just the clarity of the communication um so yeah i think there's there's definitely an alignment there so if i may could i ask you in the context of your role as ceo of conductor like how is your leadership helping to you know improve the workplace and the world at large Wow. Um, <laughs> just a, yeah, just a little question. I, yeah. Just a little question. Um, <laughs> that's a really challenging one. Um, look, at the very heart of it, let, let, let's start at the very heart of it. You know, I'm, I'm over 50. I'm a female. I'm a mother. And I'm the CEO of a software company. So I think, you know, even from that level, if there's any, not that I'm out to leave a legacy, um, it's, I guess, that, you know, there's a sense of pride and a sense of a message that I want to get out to the world is just don't give up on what 
on those niggling things that are inside that you you have an ache to change. You know, if I look back now and it's it was just always there, it was just always there, why can't we do better? Why can't we do better? Why can't we do better? And to have this opportunity at this stage in my life and having come through, you know, the, the world of work where it was very explicit for a very long time, you're too young, you don't have the wisdom, you don't have the knowledge, you can't do this. Then all of a sudden you're too old or your parent. So you've got too many distractions, so you can't do this. And then you're too old, but then you're still a female. And so you have, you can get these messages throughout the world and every single person does. So I'm not just saying it's a gender thing. Everybody experiences other people telling them, no, you can't do that. And I think, you know, what I've learned is you can do whatever you want. You've got to know who you are. You need it needs to be bigger than who you are. If you have a sense of purpose, and if you have a belief that things could be different, then believe in yourself and keep working towards that. Keep being curious, asking questions, and opportunities somehow they happen. So, you know, there's a lot of potential ceilings that I've broken through. I don't think those ceilings were ever there. I think in listening to people and accepting that I was never enough stopped me from being this person way sooner. Um, But that might not have been very advantageous anyway. I'm here now at a time in the world when we need to be doing the work that we're doing. And I think, you know, conductor is able to bring to the surface in a non-threatening way what are the core issues? What can we do to fix them? And in the process, we're making workplaces better. And what I've found throughout that process is that leaders actually want to be better. You know, I initially thought a lot of leaders are power-driven, egotistical, and there are some, and from all walks of life, doesn't matter what you're, where you're from or what your gender is. Um, but at the heart, most leaders have the same ache as the rest of us is, am I doing something that makes a difference to others? And I think that's a really core human trait for most of us. And as a leader, I'd just say, hold on to that. That's that's where the real difference really happens when you have that motivation, when it's not coming from your own ego to be famous or whatever, when you have something that's bigger than you and that's giving back to the world, it has a lot more force, a lot more power, and it keep pushing. It'll happen. If, if you have that belief long enough, it will happen. So I think if there's anything I want to, you know, have a legacy around leadership and that I'm helping the world to see is it's never too late. It's never too early. You're never too female. You're never too male. You're never too soft. You're never too hard. (laughs) It's a continual learning process of knowing yourself, continuing to learn about yourself and continuing to uh, do it for others, not just for you. That is just like a very emotive and very powerful depiction of the way I see the world and 
yeah, the you know, what's ours to do as leaders in it, and uh, and then this is yeah, this is why you and I have had this, you know, I would say again, correct me if you <laughs> sense something different, but this very immediate connection that we kind of got right into it very very quickly. I think even in our first dialogue, we were talking about this kind of stuff, right? And I think it, I, I I absolutely adore your expression of. You know, leaders have this shared ache. I mean, sorry, you may not have said shared, but I love the term ache. Like it's, well, yeah, what is it? Like it's this, it's this really intrinsic, you know, extremely powerful, but often repressible sense that I agree with you. I, th- I think if you kind of get right down into the guts of most people in any role uh you know where you would say they are acting as a leader yeah the intention is i would say the vast majority of the intention is to help and to serve and to enable others right i would absolutely agree that unfortunately a lot of the most spectacular examples of leadership are the opposite of that um some very prominent ones that need not be mentioned because everybody you know has their own one um yeah but some very prominent ones in politics and in you know and in business in australia um clearly not that but i think you know if you if you look um at the, a sort of a global population and and you look at leading universally i would agree with you i think that is what most people sign up for and I say it's repressible because you know, I think there's a lot that kind of gets in the way and maybe it is the reward structures or, you know, it's the threats to, you know, that status and that authority and, you know, some of the privilege that that these roles can entail, right, um, to start to draw some circularity to the discussion. But, yeah, I'm, just, I'm still nesting with that, that, that term ache. Like that is just such a great description. Um, so I won't dwell on it too long, but I'm just, I'm just holding it just, just right, right here tenderly at the moment. Yeah. Look, I think, you know, you mentioned intention and consequences and I, I, you know, the face wasn't, you know, it was one of, I hadn't heard that before, but it actually piqued my interest when you commented on that. In what I've seen, even some of the more, challenging leaders that I've seen. Yeah, this this disconnect between what their intention was and what the consequences are. And, you know, that was the whole my whole degree in studying policy was this is the intention of some really well-intentioned uh, people hoping to fix some really big problems out in the world and had completely the wrong consequence. So, the problem isn't that. I think at the heart of organisations is the problem is we haven't had a way to understand what is happening. We haven't had a tool that has allowed us to understand these consequences as they're playing out. So we're piecing together bits and pieces of data, trying to make assumptions, and, of course, then our biases and perspectives and cognitive dissonance kicks in, which is why data is so important. When you see the data, then you've got the chance to go, and I've had this, you know, we've had this with um, some organisations that, you know, we've run conductor with and leaders have seen their results and for lots of different reasons and just gone, that's not the leader I wanted to be. I was trying to do the 
I actually I wasn't wanting that to happen. I was trying to make that not happen. And so those moments have been real eye-openers for me to just go, wow, yeah, you know, it's not we're not doing things on the whole to be evil. We're doing things to try and make things better. We just have no insight into those consequences. So once you do, well, isn't that a whole different conversation that you can now have? You can actually track this really easy, really fast, really effectively, and then make the changes so you actually start to work towards the the intended consequences, not the unintended consequences. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I, one of my many facilitation shirts. It's, I, I'm guilty of wearing my own merchandise, but I, I only do it when I'm I'm, I'm standing in front. <laughs> I'm standing in front of a you know a group. You know when I'm when I'm paid to be there. But one one of them is yeah. They're all designed to be provocative. Um, one of them says, "Pay attention to your intention." Most of them are questions, but that one's a statement, um, and it's actually the one that gets the most inquiry in the feedback forms and, 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 and you know it's it's the only shirt that gets explicitly mentioned in our, in our feedback forms from workshop groups um which is interesting <laughs> it's interesting to me that, that 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 provocation is is stimulating a recognition that oh yeah absolutely i do need to do that i was gonna say when you look at leaders they've come through with um they've come through learning skills a through you know different Pro, um, courses, programs that they've been through, uh, their technical skills, which they know they need. And then we are all mentored by the people in our organisation, whether it's deliberate or not, we will enact the behaviours that are happening in the organisation. And so if you are a leader, a young leader coming through, it doesn't matter what you're taught, if the intentions or the behaviours that are happening around you are the complete opposite to that, it's very, very difficult to to come and then enact behaviours that you believe are the right way of doing things if a whole organisation does it differently. And so, you know, this I think it's really hard for leadership to change because they haven't had... They're not seeing it in action. They're not seeing it in action of how it could work. There's nobody leading them. Um, you know, we're certainly getting a lot more leaders through and a lot more knowledge about really good leaders and what it takes. But there's some sort of, I think, perception of, oh my, you know, they're like that's a really good leader, and I'm like, I could only hope to be as good as that. And you know, I, I want to challenge leaders. You can be as good as that. It's actually really simple. It's really simple and your behaviour is not going to change over time. So, you know, these things don't happen. You can't go to a course, come back and go, well, that's who I am now. It takes time to rebuild those behaviours and to make them a core part of who you are and to find the work, the spaces that you're safe to be able to carry out those behaviours without being bullied or harassed or demeaned or, you know, challenged about it. So. I think as leaders start, and I'm seeing a lot more younger leaders come through with stronger values, stronger sets of values, which is pretty exciting, um, and going, no, that, that's not how we do things. We're, we're going to do it differently. 
um, and a lot more respect for fellow workers and others around them. And I think as that just starts to to become the norm, we will we will absolutely start to see really high level leaders, high performing leaders, because at the end of the day, that's their role is to influence, to bring everybody else along with them. And you can't influence anybody if they don't even trust you or your intentions. So those those unintended consequences from your intentions, you know, people are reading them a lot more easily these days. We're a lot more cognizant of reading each other and understanding what's really at the core and what's happening there. Um, we're not so, I don't think we're as naive or, or acting like sheep, just going with the flow. There's a lot more, more people are, are willing to, to put their hand up and go, no, that's not right. We shouldn't be doing that. Um, I, I, I can see that constantly building. Um, and if I look back in my early career, you know, you didn't do that. You just, you're just quiet keep it on the down low. Um, I, I see that in Australia. I can't I can't say that that's being replicated in other areas of the world though. So I think Australia is in a very um, unique situation is my interpretation. Okay. I'm getting slightly conscious of time and, and I want to make sure that we, we cover a couple of specific things because, and again, like I could just have a, another three-hour long expansive Tim and Karen conversation, just <laughs> opening the portal on what you've just said. So let's just let's just belay that Hit for another day. If you want to join us, <laughs> <it. laughs> yeah, we haven't quite launched the Better World Leaders Clubhouse yet. We will get there, I think. Stay tuned. Um, stay tuned. Well, you know what? In actual fact, since you've just provoked it, do scroll down. Do look at the show notes. There actually is a form there. I am curious. Um, to understand what other forums, communities, um, groups, areas, things, zones, people might be interested in entering into to engage with guests, people like Karen, um, and, and so on. So since you've said that, brief interlude there, scroll down, click button, tell me what you'd like. I will try and facilitate it as best I can. So let's pull the curtain back. Let's do a dive into Conductor. What is it? How does it work? What are some of the outcomes you're seeing? Well, Conductor is a, a leadership analytics platform and it helps leaders to grow and support high-performance teams. Look, we, we could see for a long time the impact uh, leaders were having who were going through the Neuroscience of Leadership Program. We could see the work they were doing and the impact they were having in their teams. But what consistently was coming back and what we were experiencing is the lack of connection, they couldn't bring it into the whole organisation. And unless you're bringing it in all the way down through an organisation, you can't make change in an organisation because you have, as we're going back to threat and reward, everyone fears change. You know, the power shifts, the power imbalance, you raised that before. So, you know, people who have power are all, all of a sudden going, well, what if I lose my power? Like, what's that going to mean for me? And so, all of these things, which are really hardwired and deep within each of us, um, raised to the top. So we we were somewhat frustrated. And um, when I became CEO over at NeuroCapability, I reached out to a business coach who had been following for a while over in Canada named Alex Classy. And I said, I need you to help me to 
how do I how do I help executives and leaders to understand that how people are feeling in their environment is impacting the performance of their organization. That started, uh, that synchronous moment just started uh, a whole journey and the birth of Conductor. So we realized that we both had insights and understandings from different perspectives and Alex had, you know, a a tremendous amount of experience in uh, developing software companies. And um, so his understanding and his work with executives around the world in over 120 companies, and he was coming at this perspective that, they were focusing on the wrong thing. So he was trying to, he was talking to leaders going, you need to focus on the people stuff. Like when you actually can help your people to, to feel like to, to perform, to get out of their way so that they can do the job that you've hired them to do and feel safe enough to do that. Your business will perform well anyway. Don't worry about the KPIs, but you need to focus here. But he hadn't found a way in order to measure that. And over at NeuroCapability, we had created a survey and we were already looking at psychological safety and understanding the core components of what was happening in teams and this threat and reward mechanism that was um, impacting the way that teams could actually come into the workplace. So we brought, we just brought all that together and, and Conductor was born. And um, so it provide what we're able to do is uh, we're measuring psychological safety in teams, whether teams feel safe enough to be included, to be able to speak up, um, to contribute. How are they experiencing their workplace and that team environment and what are the blockages of them being able to be speaking up or being included? And when you understand that, We then connect that with an organization's KPIs so that we can quantify it. And that's how we start to transform an organization because it moves it out of the space of being a HR issue. This is actually a board and executive level issue. Your business isn't performing as as well as it could be. And how much opportunity do you constantly leave on the table not accessing and how much are you at risk that even if your good performing teams slip backwards because we know emotions are contagious and it doesn't take much as we see with you know we've seen that over the last 12 months 18 months two years with with global organizations whose reputations have just been shredded when one thing happens and it just escalates and then it becomes you know, it's on the front page of every newspaper and every social media outlet. So you want to be able to address these issues long before it gets to that point. So it sits at the heart of executives and CEOs. How's it actually impacting the performance of the business, what they can do about it, and how can we improve both? So there's no point just having happy teams. Happy teams don't necessarily perform well. They can be happy. They can be getting on but they're not contributing to the KPIs. So once again, that's impacting the performance of your business. You're paying for people to come in and have a good time. That's not what business is there for. Businesses help us as individuals to succeed and to acquire the things that are important to us, but businesses also need the people to achieve so that business can do the the good that they want to do and bring the services to, to their clients. So 
both have to succeed together and it's only by looking at them together and understanding how they're impacting each other that you can really understand what it is you should be doing, what you need to focus on, where should training be, what training should it be. You don't need to go off and do huge courses. It's this is the skill or the knowledge or the habit or the piece of communication that you're not doing as well as you could be. So we can tackle that, address that. And once you start to do that, the most inspiring thing I've seen is just watching teams release. Like you can you can feel the release. And that's to me has been really astounding. It's just feeling people, it's like they breathe for the first time. They've been holding their breath or shallow breathing for so long just to get through the day and just to get through their work. And then all of a sudden, oh, you know, it's it's um it's it's quite an amazing thing to watch um, when when leaders are allowed and allow themselves to be able to do this work and and to to get the results that they're getting. And and it results in it's millions of dollars, millions of dollars of untapped potential that organizations are just uh, leaving behind. Because they we haven't been able to see this before. One of our current clients was who just said this week, you know, it's the last to them, it's the last frontier. This and this is a huge multinational uh, client that's consulting client, and they've just said, you know, psychological safety is the last frontier. This is the key piece that we've been needing to see. Now that we can see that, now we can see exactly what it is and how we can start to improve how included people are. Start to make inroads on this. Your inclusion doesn't have to be just a target. It can actually be something we focus on and move and improve. Improving culture. You know, you can't improve culture just by a mandate or just saying that's what we want to be. You need to be able to transparently see where are people challenged because they're not always challenged simply because they don't want to do it. They're challenged because they can't see that they are doing something that's counterproductive to that. They don't see that their behaviour is counterproductive. They're, they're protecting themselves. And when you help them to understand that other people are experiencing them not the same way as they perceive themselves to be experienced, it's a, you can open up conversation. You can bring people along for the journey and have them willingly want to start to improve the way they they behave in the workplace, the way they interact in the workplace, the decisions they make in the workplace. Um, so it's incredibly powerful. I love it. And I, you know, I'm endorsing it and advocating for it. And I'm, I'm out there, you know, we, side by side with you. So I'm just, I'm very glad to be able to share this message and, and this opportunity um, with you, everyone that's listening. Um, and I, I meant you, whoever's listening, not you, Karen. Um, because it is, it is great, you know, it, it, it's demystifying, you know, this sort of dark art, you know, this sort of black magic of transformative cultures and, you know, you know how is it that you can, you can sort of, um, you know, weave all of these threads together and simplify what are complex constructs like trust um, and, and put them in a very visible, measurable, demonstrable mode so that, uh, you know, people can take the, 
the steps to make things make things the way they should be. So are there some specific steps that you would recommend leaders take that that would help them begin this this sort of transformative journey to engaging with these kind of topics and and improving them? Look, I think, you know, I'm going to come back to conductor. The first thing you've got to do is measure. Your first thing you have to do is understand what is really happening. Um, too often leaders are protected from particularly the executive teams. They're too protected from what's really happening on the ground. So how people are really experiencing their workplace isn't getting through to them. And so, you know, you have a way to actually see is the vision and the values that you have as a leader really transpiring down through the organisation? Is everybody supporting you to achieve that? Um, and so find out where the opportunities are and then, you know, the next step is having, and that takes a lot of courage. It can for some people take courage to actually go, you know, I'm willing to uh, open open up the organisation and take a really good hard look at this but with anything you know in any situation where you're courageous enough to really look at yourself comes great opportunity you cannot change what you cannot see so seeing it allows you fantastic opportunities to make changes and then those changes transpire into building amazing teams and then coming from that amazing opportunities for how you engage with clients, how you really separate yourself out from your competition. What is your value proposition? You can escalate that and really live that. So, and, you know, I think that's going to be very key to gaining clients into the future. They want to know that organisations have a level of authenticity and they want to be able to feel it. And you can't, you can't help your clients to feel that if your staff don't even feel it because they're the ones representing you on the front line. So, And then the courage to learn, always learn. Learn about yourself. Learn about who you are as a leader. Be prepared to, um, to engage in a learning journey, like building psychological safety. It isn't a program. It's not something you can practice our, the psychological safety of individuals and teams, it changes all the time. And because organisations are constantly changing, you're always going to have this fluctuating levels of threat and reward going on. And so people feeling whether or not they're psychologically safe in the moment. So if you can't see that, how do you address it? And when you address it, you can have a proactive approach so that your you know, your business isn't going through um, peaks and troughs all the time. You can start to really start to work towards um, making that a more consistent business approach. And um, because you're maintaining staff, you don't have such high turnover. You're not losing key people throughout the process. You know, all of these things affect how your business operates at the end of the day. I think it just it takes a pre preparedness to create an organisation that's safe enough to look at themselves and to learn how they can do things better. That's at the heart of psychological safety. So if you're an organisation that is not 
comfortable to do that, I can already tell you, you are, you have an organization that's not psychologically safe and it will be impacting your revenue. I'm just holding myself to just give some space for those two very, very salient points to land. Um, and also as a resting place, um, not only because our time is almost up, which is on my side, and I apologise to everybody who would just love for this conversation to go on and on and on and on, um, as Karen and mine typically do, but I, I have another session that follows this, so we'll have to leave it there other than to say Karen has generously um, invited anyone listening to this that is interested to reach out to her directly, so scroll down, go to the show notes or the episode page, email, LinkedIn address, and web page to, to go into more detail about how conductor works is all there hyperlinked so click away um karen just final question for you which is an invitation any final thoughts statements provocations anything that you would like to leave this section of our conversation with i think my final thought is a lot of people very quickly want to dismiss psychological safety as being another fad and it's easy to think that it could be um, and, and do your homework well. But at the end of the day, whether you choose to use the term psychological safety, some people find that uncomfortable, doesn't matter. What we're talking about is the, the wellness of your organisation and the wellness of your teams, and they are linked. You cannot have a a healthy organisation without having healthy performing teams within that organisation. So whether you believe it's psychological safety, at the heart of what we're talking about, and we all can feel it, so I, I, I would just, if you don't think psychological safety is valid and it is a thing, just remember, think of any situation that you have walked into as a new staff member or a new student or your first time in a, in a meeting or your first role as a leader, any of those firsts, and did you at any point in time have to check yourself to go, oh, I don't think I should say that or I wonder if they'll think I'm foolish if I raise that or, I, yeah, I'm not sure if they're going to listen if I actually contribute now, that is a lack of psychological safety right there. Every single human being has experienced it. And whenever we talk to people about it, you know that it immediately doesn't matter where they're from, male, female, whatever country they're from, they will always have, oh, my God, yes, like this happened or this happened or this happened. And it affects everything through to mental health, through to safety, if, if your staff don't feel safe to speak up and raise a potential issue that could be a safety problem or they can't say no to having to take a shift but they've already done a 36-hour shift, you're, you know, imagine that if you're a doctor or an ambulance worker or someone driving a heavy vehicle, <laughs> you've got an incident waiting to happen simply because they don't feel safe enough to say, I can't do that right now. Um, so... It's incredibly important and if there's any gift that you give to your staff this year, help them to feel psychologically safe because it's it just the rewards more than triple any any amount of expense that you spend on building that. And there you have it. 
Karen, thank you so much for creating this conversation today. I really look forward to any feedback that anyone listening to this is going to share with and and, and through you. Um, so thank you for who you are and what you're doing and uh, long may it last. And I look forward to continuing to partner with you in the endeavour. Thank you, Tim. I really loved it. As per usual, I love our conversations. And <laughs> thank you for allowing me to share that with others. I, I you know, I, I do look forward to a world where we can all feel as psychologically safe as we can. And, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a dream. To be continued. Thank you so much. I really, I really enjoyed our time. I hope that you had a pen and paper on hand for really the whole of that dialogue. Um, when I was reviewing this, I took about a dozen pages of notes in order to distill down the essence and the, the saliency for me. And I just kept going and going. And, and, it, and it took me some time of you know going back and forth through the dialogue to really try and make sure that I haven't missed anything because, wow, what a dense flow of you know, real lived life, practical and theorised experience that Karen really sort of jammed into that conversation. So the, the standout themes for me were, as I mentioned up front, inclusion, changing demands on leaders, and then really this sort of this sort of vortex that trust creates for leaders and teams and organisations. And, I mean, there's so much action and intention around the inclusion movement at the moment, which I'm a very big fan of and we're doing more and more work in. And, and it's that's really where our partnership with Karen has evolved from. Um, and... Like her, I, I grew up in an area where I did not appreciate and had really no recognition of the variable experience of life and the world um, until I got a little bit sort of further out into it and could reflect back and and sort of ha come to some shared meaning, um, you know, with people from diverse backgrounds, as we like to label them sometimes. But this, to an extent, this is a universal challenge. Do you know? And to Karen's specific point, do we feel included? Do we belong? Are we given equal opportunities? Are we treated with the things that everyone should be treated with? Respect, openness, courtesy. But this really sort of key question, can you share your opinion? Like, do you have access to share your opinion? Are you not just invited but welcomed in and then enabled and given the capability to share your opinion in a way where you have no fear of doing so. I think, yeah, the, the, and there were so many prompts, but that, that was the one that really, really sort of stood out for me. The changing demands on leaders, well, I don't see that slowing down. If anything, I think that's going to that's gonna accelerate. So we spent quite a bit of time talking about that at different moments in this session. And I think particularly, you know, it's talking about the willingness or the safety perhaps that people feel, or the um, the agency that, that more people in work now feel they have to say, hey, not okay. This is not what we stand for. This wasn't what was expected, promised, made clear. Um, therefore, you know, we expect more, we expect different. 
Um, so I thought that that again for me was a real um, you know sort of important point to rest on. And then this this whole journey that Karen's on, and and, and we're sort of advocating uh, and taking and, and taking a step alongside her in partnership. That you can't change what you can't see. And I remember, yeah, you know, fifteen odd years ago when I first you know, sort of started moving in leadership circles. Um, yeah, people say, "Oh, but you know, it's a, just a mystery." how this all works um, and I think to an extent that is still the sense that people have and that it is the demystification of what leaders do the impact they have and how they can of course on this platform primarily talk about and focus on and work towards making the world better how we do that that is really the journey that Karen and conductor are on so I hope this has been an informing, inspiring, insightful conversation. I hope you've got a lot out of it. Um, you may be coming to this part of it, having gone like me backwards and forwards through through the recording many different times, and you may also have reams and reams of notes, or you may have just let the whole thing wash over you. Either way, you know, whatever your volition is, I hope you've received some benefit from it. Um, I have an extra request of you. Uh, at the end of this dialogue um, the perennial request if you've learned something today please share it with someone that you think might learn something too growth by osmosis is what we're all about but also now if you are holding any inquiry any curiosity any maybe even frustration about how can you apply this stuff how can you engage more deeply with the learnings that you're receiving through listening to these conversations and maybe you know, us hosting some events or you know, recording some short courses that you can have a more structured learning framework from um, or a community forum. What are the ways that we can serve you more, that we can enable you to do and be more and, of course, to help you create our better world and to be a leader within that better world? There's a form with a link in the show notes. I would really appreciate it if you could spend a few moments. There's only three questions, two of which are tick the box, to just share where you would receive the most benefit from the options that are laid out there. Um, I'll leave the form running for three or four episodes and, and then I'll sort of announce where the aggregated results are polling. I'm also going to start running some polls in the LinkedIn group, so there's a link also in there. Um, that is the beginning of our community forum. LinkedIn, I think, is the least ugly of the social medias at the moment. Um, so that's where we're hanging out. Uh, so please come join that group and um, please share your thoughts uh, on all of the posts that are in there. Yes, about these episodes, but about other initiatives that we see Better World Leaders doing out in the world. Um, that's it for now. That's it from me. The next episode is an interesting one. The next episode is a story of transformation, a story of calling, and that story is mine. So I hope you'll permit me to share that with you. And I look forward to doing so in the final episode of this season. So until that episode comes, be well, lead well, and keep on doing everything that you are doing, and maybe just a little bit more to create our better world. See you soon.
As always, great thanks and appreciation to the team who contributed to bringing better world leaders to you. To Brendan Ward for production of all audio recordings and composition and performance of original music throughout each episode. To Cooper and the team at Radio Hub Studios for technical support and creative guidance during the episodes that are recorded face-to-face. To Knock Knock Studios for website design, hosting and advice. And to Sarasa Design for logo and site graphics. You'll find audio and video recordings of this episode, as well as links to any specific recommendations or related resources that were mentioned today in the podcast area of 4iLeadership.com backslash insights. This is the Better World Leaders podcast, brought to you by 4i Leadership. to world.